Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family. Thank you for joining us today for our special broadcast, Getting Ready for the 2020 Elections. I'm entitling this episode, My Ezekiel Warning About Voting in the 2020 Elections. Now, this is going to be a bit different broadcast than probably anything you have heard about pro-life or about voting in uh, presidential or local elections. And it really kind of got an inspiration for me with an Old Testament reading not too long ago in Sunday Mass from the prophet Ezekiel. And, you know, the prophets were intended to wake you up, not to new or novel truths or necessarily predictions about the future as much as just waking us up in the present to the truth of God. And this is what was heard in Mass not too long ago that woke me up. Ezekiel 33, starting in verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he shall die in his iniquity, but you will have saved your life. Now, I want to make it real clear. I'm not a watchman for Israel, but I take my responsibility as a Catholic broadcaster with great seriousness, especially when it comes to defending the sanctity of innocent human life. I believe I have a responsibility before God to defend life, just as you do if you call on the name of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if you do call Christ your Lord, then you must use whatever you're at your disposal to defend and promote and further the sanctity of human life. So I happen to be a microphone guy, and I'm using this microphone today to defend innocent human life. Now, what I plan to share with you, you've probably never heard on Fox or CNN or even the reliable pro-life news outlets like EWTN or LifeSite News. Now, the question comes, how does a Christian make a choice in voting? And I'm going to mention two resources and then give you mine, the, the third on this list. The first resource I'd like to mention is a document from the USCCB, that's the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, and it's a document entitled Forming Consciences for Faithful Citizenship, subtitled A Call to Political Responsibility for the Catholic Bishops of the United States. Now, this is a 53-page document, and I'm sorry to say, I believe this document is next to worthless 
for the average person in voting. Now, don't get me wrong. This document is filled with many good things, but I do happen to know that it's way too complicated for the average person. And generally, people are pretty busy with life. And most people, if they're not political junkies, and political junkies don't need help. They know what they're going to do. But if you need advice and guidance for voting, uh, you're very unlikely to read a 53-page document to do so. In fact, I don't know anyone who has read this document. Now, if you were a philosophy student, uh, say in graduate school in an ethics class, this would be a great document uh, to study, but it doesn't have a lot of practical value for your mom and pop Catholic voter. I would just want to share you a tip that I discovered for pro-life work, and you've heard the expression, the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. There were life chains around the United States where for one hour you tried to get the entire Christian community out to take a stand for life, and life chains were occurring around the United States in some fairly decent numbers, 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 people. Now, I got a life chain manual, and it was a fairly thick notebook. And what I did is took the essence of what you needed to know for a life chain and dramatically simplified that and made it into a thin booklet. And the result was I was leading this in Florida from my garage. We had a turnout of 156,000 people. It was the largest pro-life turnout since Roe versus Wade was passed by the U.S. Supreme Court. And what I did, the, the, the smartest thing I did was to make it simple, not to make it complicated. And then we followed up with a voter guide. And again, instead of making it complicated, we worked really hard to make it clear and understandable for somebody who didn't have a real strong political background. So, the USCCB document, while it has a lot of wonderful things to say, it says too much for the average person. The second resource is a booklet put out by Catholic Answers entitled Voter's Guide for Serious Catholics. It's 16 pages. Now, this is getting a little closer to home on what the average person needs, and this is a very good resource. I do recommend it. And um, you can Google the Catholic Answers Voter's Guide, and you can find a free PDF on the internet to download 16 pages, and it's a very reliable guide to help you vote. Now, that's resources one and two. Here's mine. Now, again, you know, I'm a bit prejudiced because I discovered that the simpler you can make things and straightforward, that Christian people are waiting to do something, but they need the clear call and they need it in just a very concentrated, simplified version. So here's my voter guide for 2020. Vote 100% pro-life, period. There is nothing else you need to know. Now, I realize there's a lot of other dynamics to political life, like that USCCB document from the bishops has a lot of those things. But bottom line, there's nothing else like the sanctity of human life, because if you're not alive, 
If your life is snuffed out, then any other right you may wish, want, or hope for is gone. Okay? And vote 100% pro-life, if I can make this just a little bit longer, as if your eternal salvation rested upon your decision and your choice that you make in the voting booth. Because you know what? It does. You may never have heard this. And you may not like what I'm even saying today. But, you know, the thing that really gets me is, is that Ezekiel passage where God told Ezekiel, you know, being a prophet wasn't a great job in the Old Testament. At times, they were very unpopular. Jeremiah was put into this uh, well, and he was just basically sunk into the mire, to mud, and they kind of left him there to die, and he begged for his life to get out. Uh, Ezekiel obviously was hesitant to say what needed to be said, and God says, look, you better speak up, because your life hinges on warning people the truth of God. And so, I'm going to repeat my, I'm calling this my Ezekiel warning about voting in the 2020 elections, and you cannot vote for any candidate that supports abortion or partial birth abortion without jeopardizing your soul. Now, that's about as straightforward as it gets. Now, somebody said, well, Steve, you're, you're, you're exaggerating to make a point, right? No, I'm not exaggerating one bit. And here's why. I'm going to be sharing with you two very important but overlooked pro-life verses in the Bible. And you might get a pencil out if you're not driving and write these two verses out. They're also from the prophet Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16. And these verses, if you catch what they're teaching, it will change you and your whole look. Pro-life will move from becoming an abstract subject to something living, something very real with a stark reality behind it. Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse 20, and this is God speaking. And you took your sons and your daughters, whom you had borne to me, and these you sacrificed them to be devoured. Were your harlotry so small a matter that you slaughtered my children and delivered them up as an offering by fire to them? What's going on here? In ancient Israel... There was the pagan idol, the god Moloch, that if you took a baby, an infant, and offered your baby to Moloch, then Moloch would provide adequate rains and whatever else so you could have agricultural and economic prosperity. Now, the downside to all of this was that the children, this isn't like you dedicate your child like Protestants do instead of some churches uh, dedicate children instead of baptize them. This isn't just a ceremony. This is a child sacrifice where the child would be offered up in the midst of fire 
to this god Moloch, and the child would be burned alive before your eyes. This was the level of deception that God's people in the Old Testament sank to. And when he calls them the harlotries, because it's the word like adultery is a prophetic expression for apostasy, falling away from God. But note carefully, there's two things in these two verses. First, God says, your sons and your daughters you had born to me. You say, oh, these are my kids, and they are your kids. I understand that, and you regard them as your kids. But ultimately, your kids are not your kids. They're God's children, and you had born them to me. And then God says in verse 21 of Ezekiel 16, you slaughtered my children. Now, I want you to understand something about God, okay? First of all, I want you to understand how anthropologists don't get it. Secular anthropologists, modern anthropologists say, well, the caveman came out of the cave one day, uh, and he looked up in the sky, and he happened to be the father of a family, and he projected his fatherhood on the cosmos. It was basically a human projection up to God, okay? And that is the dead opposite of what actually is true. The Bible says very clearly in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, verses 14 and 15, St. Paul wrote, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I'm just going to give you a little Greek lesson, just use your ears because these words are going to sound very familiar. I bow my knees before the Father, this is God the Father, pater, from whom every family, patria. The very Greek word that we get the English word family from is a derivative from father. The very name of the family is derived from God. We don't project it on God. God is the ultimate fatherhood. Our fatherhood as dads and families is derivative from God the Father. And if you're a wife listening to me right now and you're wondering what I tell men and every now and then a guy comes home really changed, well, this is one of the most important things I say in a Catholic fatherhood conference, that a father has his image derived from God the Father, and a child will bear an image or carry an image of what God is like, but what he sees in his father. Now, I'm just going to use by way of illustration, because this is, this is way too low, but I would say God's love for his children has an intensity 10,000 times greater than ours. And I'm just doing this by way of uh, illustration, because I think it's greater than 10,000 times. But how would you, mom or dad, react to see your child burned alive in front of your eyes? Burned alive. Now multiply that times 10,000. And that's just a pinch on how God the Father felt about children being sacrificed to Moloch or children sacrificed to abortion in the United States of America. It says in Genesis 4, the first murder, the first spilling of innocent blood, God said to Cain, the voice of your 
brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. In the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, when it says your brother's blood is crying, that's a present active indicative. That didn't say your brother cried to me. You know, when you murdered him, I heard his cry. Uh, That would be bad enough, but continues to cry an ongoing cry, and the word itself means loud cry. There's this loud, continuous cry coming from the source of all fatherhood in heaven, and his anger is an intensity beyond anything that we can possibly comprehend. And in the United States since 1973, there are 62 million cries of infants crying aloud to God nonstop. I have said before in this radio show, I sometimes wonder if God can hear our prayers. Because if I was a dad, let's say I'm in a worship service, and I was looking out the window seeing my child being burned alive, I'm sorry. If there were singing or prayers or scripture reading going on, I don't think I could hear it because I would be focused in on what's happening to my child. Is God any different? Where do I get that? survival instinct for my children from. It's from God. Now, what happened to God's people in the Old Testament that allowed this to go on? Well, the prophet Jeremiah tells us in chapter 7, starting in verse 31, they have built a high place, this is the pagan altar, in the valley of the son of Hinnom. Okay, this is really important. This took place, this child sacrifice to Moloch took place in the valley of the son of Hinnom. And this is where you're going to get something about pro-life that you've, I would imagine, never heard before. Okay, they, they burned their sons and daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come to my mind. Therefore, thus says the Lord, when it will be no more called the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter, and the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and none will frighten them away. You know, God is not some celestial abstract idea or grandfatherly senile joke in the skies. He is a father, he's alive, and he's living, and when this happens to his children, he says, This burning in the valley of Hinnom will now be called the valley of slaughter. And sure enough, the Babylonians came in, lex talionis, judgment for judgment. They burned God's children. God burned their cities. And hundreds, if not thousands, of God's people were slaughtered and their bodies tossed into the valley of Hinnom, therefore called the valley of slaughter. And I will make to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom, and the voice of the bride, for the land shall become a waste. Okay? And then God tells Jeremiah, go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom and proclaim there the words that I tell you. And God says, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and Jerusalem. And by the way, this doesn't change. 62 million murders of innocent babies 
This hasn't changed. This is intensified. I'm just getting ahead of myself. God says, I am bringing such evil upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears of it will tingle because the people have forsaken me and profaned this place by burning incense to it to other gods and because they have filled this place with the blood of innocence. The nation Israel, the southern kingdom, nation Judah, was utterly destroyed and burned to the ground by a wicked empire. And God's people that were still alive after this destruction, who weren't slain, were led prisoners, led into captivity to a foreign land. Now, before you say, well, I'm sure glad we're not living in Old Testament days. I'm sure glad that nothing about that Ezekiel stuff applies to us. I'm sure glad that message from Jeremiah was Old Testament. Let me tell you something. The New Testament judgment is infinitely more enduring and intense than what happened to ancient Israel. And again, I come back. My country, my land, the United States of America since 1973 has slaughtered 62 million babies and their voice at this moment is crying out to God in a loud voice. Do not imagine for a moment that our nation is exempt from such a fierce judgment that Jews faced in the Old Testament. We've killed far more children than ancient Israel. Now, here's where you need to remember something as you go into the voting booth. Here's where you need Ezekiel's warning about voting in the 2020 elections. You need to heed the place and the name of the place where the child sacrifice took place. It's very important. Now, I've mentioned it a couple of times, maybe more than a couple of times. It was, in the Old Testament, the Valley of Hinnom. And in Hebrew, I know you don't know Hebrew, but it's gay Hinnom. Gay means valley, Hinnom, the Valley of Hinnom. In the New Testament, these two words, gay hinnom, kind of got morphed together and transliterated, if you want to be fancy about it, into a Greek word, Gehenna. Gay hinnom became Gehenna. And Gehenna is the Greek word for hell in the New Testament. And every time this word Gehenna is used for hell in the New Testament, it's on the very lips of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, except for one reference in the book of James. I'm just going to give you two real quick. Mark 9:43. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. Gehenna, to the unquenchable fire. 
Now, I know there's people running around today that hell's only temporary. Jesus Christ is of the opinion that it's unquenchable fire. That means it doesn't go out. And hell, the word that Jesus spoke, is the precise word relating to the Valley of Hinnom, where child sacrifice is in the Old Testament. Now, there's a lot of options for why you get sent to hell, but at the center of it is something that really ticks God off, and that's child sacrifice. Now, I would suggest to you that it would be better to cut your hand off than to go into a voting booth and vote for a pro-abortion candidate, and I mean that. This is really serious stuff. God is not a joke. That's why he sent Ezekiel. That's why he sent Jeremiah. And that's why Jesus said, don't fear those, Matthew 10. Don't fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Gehenna, the valley of Hinnom. Now, if this is the precise verbal imagery that Jesus used to refer to the unquenchable fire of hell, and we take it back like we did back to Ezekiel, that these are his children, his children being burned with fire. Hell is an unquenchable fire, eternal. Do you see the connection here? Just like Israel, ancient Israel, Jerusalem was burned, well, there's unquenchable fires in hell. So I'm trying to keep it real simple here. And by the way, you can't support abortion. You can't enable it. You can't advocate for it or vote it, vote for it, or you will end up in Gehenna, hell for all eternity, unless you sincerely and profoundly repent. And that means to change the course of your life and thinking. God will forgive, but this is not a joke. This is a serious thing to do. So let me repeat my Ezekiel 2020 voting recommendation. Real simple, right to the point. Vote 100% pro-life. God says these are my children, my children, and already 62 million of God's children have been slaughtered in the United States of America. Um, the consequences could be beyond imagination. We're going to talk a little bit about that next time. But as we're closing off, you've been listening to episode 301 of Faith and Family Radio. I'm Steve Wood, your host. You might want to share a link to this broadcast and send it to your friends. Uh, it's on Spotify and Apple Podcast, Faith and Family, episode 301. And one, share the truth with those you love. God bless. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at dads.org.